Hey everyone, welcome back to the Life by Taylor podcast where we learn and grow together. On today's podcast episode, we're going to be reading from A New Earth, one of the books that I hold near and dear to my heart, a book that I mention continuously because it was such an essential part to my spiritual awakening and is the text that I go back to multiple times whenever I need to remember the truth, the truth of who I am, the truth of what I'm experiencing, and what the purpose of my life is. Although I revisit many parts of this book over and over again, there's one chapter in particular that has been the chapter I go to anytime I'm in what I call a dark hole. Whenever I fall too deep into a negative emotional state or a negative thinking spiral or I'm involved in some sort of drama with a family member or someone in my life. This chapter is chapter five, The Pain Body, and if you didn't listen to last week's episode, it is okay because what I'm going to talk about today, you can still understand it, but I do recommend listening to that episode first if you can or if you haven't already because I read the first few parts of that chapter. On today's episode, I'm going to be going into and introducing the concept of the pain body for the first time. So what is the pain body? What does the pain body feed off of? How does it renew itself? What is this thing that I keep referring to that I see as this little monster that lives inside of me that feeds off of drama and negativity that really just serves my ego? I'm so excited to read parts of this chapter for you. And as I was reviewing it today to really decide what parts I'm going to read from, I realized there's a few parts that I can paraphrase and kind of explain in my own words so that I can focus more heavily on the meat and the juice of this chapter, the part that I think can change your life the most. If you pay attention, listen closely with an open mind, try to really just let this sink in. If you have to listen again, listen again. I promise you, if you internalize what I'm about to share with you today, it can really, really change your entire relationship to yourself, to life, to other people in a way that is beyond what you can imagine. Let's begin. In last week's episode, I read the first quarter of the chapter on the nature of our thoughts, on what emotions are and how our emotion ties into our ego. Now we're going to go into this idea of how we carry past thoughts and past emotions in our body in an energy form that he calls the pain body. He starts this part with a story that's titled The Duck with the Human Mind. When Eckhart Tolle was writing The Power of Now, he observed two ducks fighting in a pond. And he noticed how after they got into this altercation, after they had this conflict between them where they were going at it, both of them just started to flap their wings really, really, really aggressively, almost to release all of the energy that they built up during the fight. And right after that, they just floated away from each other peacefully. He uses this example because he said that it made him think about how the fact that human beings will get into a fight, but they won't just release that energy from the fight and move on. They will carry that fight in the form of a story in their mind that they replay over and over and over again and almost live energetically as if they're in that fight, in that conflict, in that state longer than that fight actually existed. He says... If the duck had a human mind, it would keep the fight alive by thinking, by story making. This would probably be the duck's story. I don't believe what he just did. He came within five inches of me. He thinks he owns this pond. He has no consideration for my private space. I'll never trust him again. Next time he'll just try something else to annoy me. I'm sure he's plotting something already. 
I'm sure not going to stand for this. I'll teach him a lesson he won't forget. And on and on, the mind spins its tails, still thinking and talking about it days, months, or years later. As far as the body is concerned, the fight is still continuing. And the energy it generates in response to all of those thoughts is emotion, which in turn generates more thinking. This becomes the emotional thinking of the ego. You could see how problematic the duck's life would become if he had a human mind. But this is how most humans live all the time, where no situation or event is ever really finished. The mind and the mind made me and my story keep it going. He summarizes this part. He says, we are a species that lost its way. Everything natural, every flower or tree and every animal have important lessons to teach us if we would just stop, look, and listen. Our duck's lesson is this, flap your wings, which translates as let go of the story and return to the only place of power, the present moment. He continues this chapter by telling a story about two monks where they're going for a walk and I believe that they arrive at some sort of river that is super muddy. And monks, of course, are not supposed to touch women. And there was a woman who needed help crossing the river. One of the monks picks the woman up and carries her across the river. And as the monks continue their journey, they're already miles and miles away from this river. One of the monks asks the other monk who carried the woman, why did you carry the woman? And that monk who carried the woman looks at the other monk and says, why are you still carrying her? This next part is so important. This is about how the pain body is created, how we relive our past, carry our past, past emotions and past thoughts to create this energy field in our body that is called the pain body. Once we understand what it is, I'm going to talk about how it feeds itself, what it lives off of, how it renews itself, and that is where your mind will be blown. But first, let's understand what it is. The past lives in you as memories, but memories in themselves are not a problem. In fact, it is through memory that we can learn from the past and from past mistakes. It is only when memories, that is to say thoughts about the past, take you over completely that they turn into a burden, turn problematic, and become part of your sense of self. Your personality, which is conditioned by the past, then becomes your prison. Your memories are invested with a sense of self, and your story becomes who you perceive yourself to be. This quote-unquote little me is an illusion that obscures your true identity as timeless and formless presence. Your story, however, consists not only of mental, but also of emotional memory, old emotion that is being revived continuously. As in the case of the monk who carried the burden of this resentment for five hours by feeding it with his thoughts, most people carry a large amount of unnecessary baggage, both mental and emotional, throughout their lives. They limit themselves through grievances, regret, hostility, guilt. Their emotional thinking has become their self, and so they hang on to old emotion because it strengthens their identity. Because of the human tendency to perpetuate old emotion, almost everyone carries in his or her energy field an accumulation of old emotional pain, I call the pain body. We can, however, stop adding to the pain body that we already have. We can learn to break the habit of accumulating and perpetuating old emotion by flapping our wings, metaphorically speaking, and refrain from mental dwelling on the past, regardless of whether something happened yesterday or 30 years ago. We can learn not to keep situation or events alive in our minds. 
but to return our attention continuously to the pristine, timeless, present moment, rather than being caught up in the mental movie making. Our very presence then becomes our identity, rather than our thoughts and emotions. Nothing ever happened in the past that can prevent you from being present right now. And if the past cannot prevent you from being present now, what power does it have? Before we go into the main part of this chapter that I want you guys to hear, let's talk about this for a second. This idea that we're carrying our past inside of us and replaying it. You get in a fight with someone and then you're thinking about it again and again and how you could have said things differently and what they said and I can't believe he said this and I can't believe he said that. And honestly, I think one of the things you can do to stop that and to not strengthen it is to stop talking about it with people. I see so many people go through a conflict with a friend or a breakup or some drama at work. And they're keeping this story alive by talking about it with everyone they know, all of their friends, this friend, that friend, this person, my parents, my this, my that. And they have to now keep this story alive because every time they see that person, they ask them, so how is this? And then they have to open the story again, reopen the book, continue rereading the same story over and over again. Never mind if it was just one person, but to many, many people. Now, I'm not telling you not to share your struggles and challenges in life, obviously, But I try to really be consciously aware of who I'm sharing my drama with, who I'm sharing my story making with. Because if I have drama in my life, if something happens, I don't make sure every single person who knows me hears about it and helps me with it. Of course, I need one person maybe to just listen to me, say it out loud. And I usually tell that person, don't ask questions, don't feed into this, just listen. I just need someone to kind of like let this out and vent and talk out loud, think out loud almost as if I was journaling just in the presence of another person. And if you don't have someone who you trust to hold that space and be present enough just to listen, then hire someone to do it. That is, in my opinion, the purpose of therapy and coaching and spiritual advisors. My spiritual advisor, who isn't a therapist, but she's like a therapist, I like to tell her my drama because I trust her to guide me back to truth and not to re-feed that part of me, not to feed the part of me that I'm actually trying to weaken in that moment. So just a practical tip, I think, keep the drama and the conflicts and the things that are happening in your life between maybe you and your partner, you and an old friend or a fight you're having, whatever it is, to yourself. This is something that I've seen a lot of adults do who are going through divorce. They're talking about their ex-husband or wife with everyone all the time. Did you see them doing this? Did you see them doing that? talking about it with their children, talking about it with their relatives, just on and on and on until the story really gets the best of them and really robs them of their ability to live their life. They didn't ever truly divorce this person. And I think he actually says this example. I don't remember. Maybe subconsciously I've internalized that because it's relatable to me. And I saw my parents both do that and actually still do it till this day. But now we're going to talk about what I said, what I actually posted on my story that sparked your guys' interest in this chapter about our addiction to emotional negativity, to drama, which is actually the pain body's addiction and how the pain body renews itself. The pain body is a semi-autonomous energy form that lives within most human beings, an entity made up of emotion. It has its own primitive intelligence, not unlike a cunning animal, and its intelligence is directed primarily at survival. Like all life forms, it periodically needs to feed, to take in new energy, 
and the food it requires to replenish itself consists of energy that is compatible with its own, which is to say, energy that vibrates at a similar frequency. Any emotionally painful experience can be used as food for the pain body. That's why it thrives on negative thinking, as well as drama in relationships. The pain body is an addiction to unhappiness. It may be shocking when you realize for the first time that there is something within you that periodically seeks emotional negativity, seeks unhappiness. You need even more awareness to see it in yourself than to recognize it in another person. Once the unhappiness has taken you over, not only do you not want an end to it, but you want to make others just as miserable as you are in order to feed on their negative emotional reactions. In most people, the pain body has a dormant and an active stage. When it is dormant, you easily forget that you carry a heavy, dark cloud or a dormant volcano inside you, depending on the energy field of your particular pain body. How long it remains dormant varies from person to person. A few weeks is the most common, but it can be a few days or months. In rare cases, the pain body can lie in hibernation for years before it gets triggered by some event. The pain body awakens from its dormancy when it gets hungry, when it is time to replenish itself. Alternatively, it may get triggered by an event at any time. The pain body that is ready to feed can use the most insignificant event as a trigger, something somebody says or does, or even a thought if you live alone or there's nobody around at the time. The pain body will feed on your thoughts. Suddenly your thinking becomes deeply negative. You are most likely unaware that just prior to the influx of negative thinking, a wave of emotion invaded your mind as a dark and heavy mood, as anxiety or fiery anger. All thought is energy and the pain body is now feeding on the energy of your thoughts, but it cannot feed on any thought. You don't need to be particularly sensitive to notice that a positive thought has a very different tone than a negative one. It is the same energy but vibrates at a different frequency. A happy, positive thought is indigestible to the pain body. It can only feed on negative thoughts because only those thoughts are compatible with its own energy field. The voice in your head will be telling sad, anxious, or angry stories about yourself or your life, about other people, about past, future, or imaginary events. The voice will be blaming, accusing, complaining, imagining, and you are totally identified with whatever the voice says. You believe all its distorted thoughts. At that point, the addiction to unhappiness has set in. It is not so much that you cannot stop your train of negative thoughts, but that you don't want to. This is because the pain body at that time is living through you, pretending to be you. And to the pain body, that pain is pleasure. It eagerly devours every negative thought. In fact, the usual voice in your head has now become the voice of the pain body. It has taken over your internal dialogue. A vicious circle becomes established between the pain body and your thinking. Every thought feeds the pain body and in turn the pain body generates more thoughts. At some point after a few hours or even a few days, it has replenished itself and returns to its dormant stage, leaving behind a depleted organism and a body that is much more susceptible to illness. If that sounds to you like a psychic parasite, you are right. That's exactly what it is. Before we continue this chapter, I just wanted to stop and remind you that if you haven't already signed up for my New Year's resolution and intention setting workshop on December 30th, now is the time. 
The slots are almost full, and I am so excited to set ourselves up for success spiritually and intentionally for this new year together. If you feel like you're at a place where you have been wanting more from life, you feel like you have this inner whisper that's telling you that you can achieve more and do more and accomplish more, but you just haven't taken action, this workshop will be for you. In this workshop, I promise you that I will give you the best of myself to motivate you and inspire you to step into this new year as strongly as possible. To sign up, you can click the link below in the podcast description or in the bio on my Instagram. I'm so excited to see you guys there. I'm just going to continue reading because I want you guys to hear all of this. Next part is titled, How the Pain Body Feeds on Drama. If there are other people around, preferably your partner or a close family member, the pain body will attempt to provoke them, push their buttons, as the expression goes, so it can feed on the ensuing drama. Pain bodies love intimate relationships and families because that is where they get most of their food. It is hard to resist another person's pain body that is determined to draw you into a reaction. Instinctively, it knows your weakest, most vulnerable points. If it doesn't succeed the first time, it will try again and again. It is raw emotion looking for more emotion. The other person's pain body wants to awaken yours so that both pain bodies can mutually energize each other. When I first read this part, it changed everything for me. When I realized that there is a part of me, this little pain body that feeds on negativity and drama and shit, basically, and that our pain bodies are awakening each other's pain bodies to feed off of them. It became so obvious to me when my pain body was trying to do that to my partner, to my family, where I'm just trying to trigger someone to start something, but even more so when they were trying to do it to me. When my dad would say certain things and I didn't react, so he would go say something else and say something else, almost looking for a reaction. Not almost, literally trying to get that reaction, a negative reaction to then feed off of. And if I react, then he has food and his pain body grows stronger and mine will then grow stronger and the same in romantic relationships. But what I learned from this chapter that changed my entire life, I don't know if I'll get to it when I'm reading, so that's why I want to say it, is that if you are strong enough to stay present and not react to someone's pain body trying to feed off of yours, their pain body will slowly die. It will kick and scream and do everything in its power to get a reaction out of yours, okay? It will do everything. It will try again and again. And like he said, this usually happens with people we're closer to because they know us best and they know what to say and they know how to trigger us. So don't underestimate the fact that they're going to do everything in their power. But if you stay still and if you stay present, you will see the pain body turn from like the Hulk into a little mouse. I've seen it time and time again in my life and it has improved my relationships dramatically with other people but also allowed me to have more compassion for them because when we react and when we feed into that we are living in a lie. We start to demonize this person. We start to see them as their pain body and not who they truly are which is the soul and the spirit behind it, the pure human that usually we love, right? Our family, usually we love them and usually our partner, we love them. So seeing past that is also so important to not taking these moments so personally. 
he goes into how the pain body shows up in intimate relationships and really does give examples of how in a relationship the pain bodies go through this like regular experience together where they're awakened at the same time and feed off of each other but I want to go on to the next part just in case that's something that interests you I highly recommend reading that part of the book which is of course in the chapter of the pain body under how the pain body feeds on drama the next part is called dense pain bodies some people carry dense pain bodies that are never completely dormant they may be smiling and making polite conversation but you do not need to be psychic to sense that seething ball of unhappy emotion in them just underneath the surface waiting for the next event to react to the next person to blame or confront the next thing to be unhappy about their pain bodies can never get enough they are always hungry they magnify the ego's need for enemies through their reactivity, relatively insignificant matters are blown up out of proportion as they try to pull other people into their drama by getting them to react. Some get involved in protracted and ultimately pointless battles or court cases with organizations or individuals. Others are consumed by obsessive hatred towards an ex-spouse or ex-partner. Unaware of the pain they carry inside, by their reaction, they project the pain into events and situations. Due to a complete lack of self-awareness, they cannot tell the difference between an event and a reaction to the event. To them, the unhappiness and even the pain itself is out there in the event or situation. Being unconscious of their inner state, they don't even know that they are deeply unhappy, that they are suffering. Sometimes, people with such dense pain bodies become activists fighting for a cause. The cause may indeed be worthy, and they are sometimes successful at first in getting things done. However, the negative energy that flows into what they say and do and their unconscious need for enemies and conflict tend to generate increasing opposition to their cause. Usually, they also end up creating enemies within their own organization, because wherever they go, they find reasons for feeling bad, and so their pain body continues to find exactly what it is looking for. I'm sure when I was reading the part on dense pain bodies, every single person listening to this can think of one person in their life that they know that has a dense pain body. And maybe if you're self-aware enough, you can recognize that within yourself. It's important for me to say that when we hear these things, when we find out these things, it's like when we see posts online about narcissist traits or toxic people or people with dense pain bodies. There's a part of us that wants to demonize those people and dehumanize them and make them like the enemy and make them the monster and that's the ego within ourself I would say as you read these things and you start to recognize this in other people don't miss the fact that we all have a little bit of all of these traits within ourself and even narcissists and toxic people and people carrying dense pain bodies do deserve compassion do deserve understanding they don't deserve to maybe have a presence in our life and for us to give our energy to them but we can keep our compassion there. As I'm rereading that part on the dense pain body, it really reminded me of a friend of mine who is no longer in my life because of that reason. I really felt like even in her happy moments, there is this little monster inside of her that isn't her, but is always looking for fights and conflicts and enemies. And it just weighed heavy on me and it affected me too much. So I had to create space and boundaries, but I still love her and I still have compassion for her and I still understand that that's stemming from her being unaware, her not having the level of consciousness to see past that part of her own being. 
The last part I want to read is about the pain body in the media and entertainment. In this chapter, he also talks about the collective female pain body, which is like the collective pain body that we carry as females who have endured a lot of trauma, a lot of suppression, but also he goes into national and racial pain bodies of Jewish people, of African-American people. He really has so many profound and deep truths when he talks about this. It would just take me a really long time to go through all of them and break them down. So the last thing I want to leave you with is the part where he talks about how the pain body runs the entertainment business and the media. This is something that I think can really help weaken your pain body. When you're choosing what shows to watch on Netflix and what pages to watch and when you're scrolling through social media and a video is pulling your attention by actually feeding your pain body, awakening it, that's a moment where you can actually weaken it by not letting it take you there. Entertainment, the media, and the pain body. If you were not familiar with our contemporary civilization, if you had come here from another age or another planet, one of the things that would amaze you is that millions of people love and pay money to watch humans kill and inflict pain on each other and call it quote-unquote entertainment. Why do violent films attract such a large audience? There is an entire industry, a large part of which fuels the human addiction to unhappiness. Side note, I would also say in reality TV and in a lot of those shows, it is not physical violence, but I would say it's emotional, spiritual abuse that is going on in these shows that we are addicted to. So that's just a little side note I want to add there. People obviously watch those films because they want to feel bad. What is it in humans that loves to feel bad and calls it good? The pain body, of course. A large part of the entertainment industry caters to it. So in addition to reactivity, negative thinking, and personal drama, the pain body also renews itself vicariously through cinema and television screen and your iPhone. <laughs> pain bodies write and produce these films and pain bodies pay to watch them. If films show violence in its wider context, if they show its origin and its consequences, show what it does to the victim as well as the perpetrator, show the collective unconsciousness that lies behind it and is passed on from generation to generation, the anger and hatred that lives in humans as the pain body, then those films can fulfill a vital function in awakening of humanity. They can act as a mirror in which humanity sees its own insanity. That in which you recognize madness as madness, even if it is your own, is the arising awareness, is the end of insanity. So he's saying here, when you become aware of the madness within yourself, that is when you recognize your own insanity, you can become sane. The popular tabloid press does not primarily sell news, but negative emotion, food for your pain body. Outrage screams the three-inch headline, or bastards. The British tabloid press excels at this. They know that negative emotion sells far more papers than news does. There is a tendency in the news media in general, including television, to thrive on negative news. The worse things get, the more excited the presenters become. And often, the negative excitement is generated by the media itself. Pain bodies just love it. So... I'm going to leave you with this today because I think that this is something also that's really practical that you can do. 
to really become aware of what you are consuming and asking yourself, is this feeding on my pain body? Is this food for the pain body? Is this something that is actually not necessary for me to consume or watch or give attention to or energy to that is just feeding this part of myself that is addicted to feeling bad? even if it's not about my own life. It's addicted to seeing how other people's lives are bad and how what's going bad for other people and the drama in other people's lives and celebrities or even in false fictitious characters on TV shows and on social media, whatever it is. What I feel is so incredible about this book is that in a way he's giving these very, not general in the sense of bland, but like open philosophies and perspectives on life and every time I read it I gain something else from it because it applies to my life in a new way so I'm sure every single person listening to this heard what they need to hear in the lens and perspective they need to hear it and it spoke to a part of them today for what they need now in a completely different way than the next person At the end of the chapter, he does end with national and racial pain bodies, this collective pain body that we carry as a nation or as a certain race or a tribe. And I want to end actually with the last paragraph of this chapter because I find it to be so beautiful. He says, there is only one perpetrator of evil on the planet, human unconsciousness. That reality is true forgiveness. And with forgiveness, your victim identity dissolves and your true power emerges, the power of presence. Instead of blaming the darkness, you bring in the light. So instead of focusing on the people who have wronged you, instead of focusing on your perceived enemy in this world, whether it's the people who are spreading darkness or hatred or whatever it is, I feel like we all have this us versus them mentality, whether it's in our personal lives or if it's something that's bigger than us, whether it's something that we're still fighting from the past, that we can't forgive someone for doing something to us, understand that that evil isn't really that person. It's the unconsciousness in that person. And the only way to fight it is to be consciously aware of the power you have in the present moment that brings in and makes room for light. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast episode. I feel so much joy sharing this book with other people because it makes me feel like I can now speak this language with more people, with my community. And when I mention things like the pain body, people will understand. And that's a really fulfilling feeling for me because of how much of an impact it had on my life understanding these concepts. If this episode helped you, if you enjoyed this episode, if you found value in it, please screenshot it, post it on your story, tag me so that I can see it. And just reminding you again that if you want to sign up for my 90-minute workshop on December 30th at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time to set yourself up for the new year, to set intentions and resolutions and do a meditation and just get a really nice boost of inspiration and motivation for me, you can click the link below in the podcast description or in the link in my bio on Instagram. Thank you again for listening. I love you so much and I'll be back next week.